the authorities that God sends over us in the civil government. Today we're going to look at the other half of that, and that's how we are to respond to them. But first I'd like to read with you two brief passages. The first we read last week, and that's from the beginning of Hebrews 13. We need to be reminded of that as we look to this other half of our obligation to the civil government. But then we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 2. Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. For you have no fear of the one who is in authority, then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And then looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedoms as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Amen. Now, Article 36. We read the first half of that uh, last week, noting that the second paragraph has actually uh, been replaced by the one that's in the footnote. In our new uh, Forms and Prayers book, you'll see the, uh, the new version of the Belgian, the new translation that we've adopted, and that has that footnote in the text. So including that, we believe that our gracious God, because of the depravity of mankind, has appointed kings, princes, and magistrates, willing that the world should be governed by certain laws and policies, to the end that the dissoluteness of men might be restrained, and all things carried on among them with good order and decency. For this purpose, he has invested the magistracy with the sword for the punishment of evildoers and the protection of them as well. And being called in this manner to contribute to the advancement of a society that is pleasing to God, the civil rulers have the task in subjection to the law of God while completely refraining from every tendency toward ex exercising absolute authority. And while functioning in the spirit trusted to them and with the means belonging to them, 
to remove every obstacle to the preaching of the gospel and to every aspect of divine worship in order that the word of God may have free course, the kingdom of Jesus Christ may make progress, and every anti-Christian power may be resisted. Moreover, it is the bounden duty of every one, of whatever state, quality, or condition he may be, to subject himself to the magistrates, to pay tribute, to show due honor and respect to them, and to obey them in all things which are not repugnant to the word of God. To supplicate for them in their prayers, that God may rule and guide them in all their ways, and that we may lead a tranquil, tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and gravity. Wherefore we detest the Anabaptists and other seditious people, and in general all those who reject the higher powers of magistrates, and would subvert justice, introduce community of goods, and confound that decency and good order which God has established among men. Amen. Beloved disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, there are ages and places in which it is easy for God's people to submit themselves to the governing authorities. Such was the case in the golden age of Israel, under the leadership of Kings David and Solomon, when God's law was set before the people and when God's blessing was evident throughout the land. Such was the case of the Roman Empire under the first Christian emperor, Constantine. And after the Reformation, the city-states that were reformed, like Calvin's Geneva, it was easy for our forefathers to submit to reformed rulers, like William of Orange in the Netherlands, and also our American forefathers, under Christian leaders like George Washington, James Madison, and James Monroe. It is relatively easy for Christians to submit themselves to rulers who share their faith and whose practice is not an obstacle for God's people. But it's a different matter. When our rulers hold to a different religion or to no religion at all, or when their practices or their commands are contrary to that which is prescribed in God's Word. <coughs> How could our forefathers submit to Catholic kings who sought their death? How could their forefathers submit to emperors who regarded themselves as gods? How are we to submit to presidents and governors and congressmen who treat Christianity and Islam as equivalent, who advocate for the legal murder of infants, who strive with all their might to remove God's word from our laws, God's name from our public square, and God's worship from our land. Submission to such rulers, well, it's a far harder pill for Christians to swallow. And so we need to ask, must we submit to such rulers? If so, how? And if not, then what? And in answer to those essential questions, our confession teaches us that God commands us to receive the government as his servant. And there's a lot to unpack in that, but that's what we need to consider during our brief time this morning. We confess that God commands us to receive the government as his servant. 
And the first aspect of that is to call to subject ourselves to the government. So that's our first point. But what does that mean? To subject ourselves. What, what's that involved? And why is it so important? Be clear on this verse. Subjection to the government is a matter of our proper reception of the governing authorities who are over us, regardless of who they are, or what their character is, or what laws they are passing or enforcing, our relationship to them is not a matter, first and foremost, of how we speak or how we act. It's a matter, first and foremost, of the heart. When our hearts are in a right relationship with God, and are rightly oriented with our leaders, then we will speak and act and live in a way that is honoring to God with regard to our government. When we speak about our subjection to the government, understand to whom it is that we're related. Our confession speaks of kings, princes, and magistrates. These are, are folks who hold office, legitimate office within the civil government. When they hold a legitimate office in the civil government, they have been established in that office by God himself. Daniel 2 says that God is the one who raises up kings and who deposes them. That means that we're talking here of legitimate authority figures, not self-appointed power brokers whose authority arises only from their say-so and their networking. We don't submit to that. And we're not talking about tyrants who exceed the laws of God and man seeking to exercise absolute authority over people. We'll talk in a few minutes about how we should regard and relate to tyrants. But what we're talking about first and foremost is those whom God has ordained to exercise legitimate offices established by law in the nation who enter those offices by lawful means. When they do that, they're being set in those offices, not first and foremost by the election of the people or by the laws that put them there, but by God himself. And that includes men at every level of government, whether national, state, or local. As we heard in 1 Peter 2, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Rulers from every branch, from the highest to the lowest, comprise our authorities. Paul assures us in Romans 13 that there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. But some will ask, why would we even bother? Why not just strive to live apart from the government? We are part of a greater kingdom, a spiritual kingdom. Why not just establish some isolated, enclaves, little colonies, all our own, where we can leave the government and all its mess behind us? I think most of us at some point have been tempted to advocate for that, right? Surely there are some places in Texas or Montana or Idaho where we can just be ignored and left alone and we can just... God has not called us to that. That's what the Anabaptists 
Baptists in the age of the Reformation sought to do. And our forefathers rightly sent me to test that. Because you see, in this world, we are intended to be light. Reflecting the light of him who is the light. The way that we live among our unbelieving neighbors, the way we submit to the authorities, even those who are unbelievers, that's the way that we, one of the ways that we shine the light of Christ. When our rulers act in ways that are ungodly, but we act in godly ways in response, when they mistreat us and we still treat them with respect and with honor, they look at us and they say, what is wrong with you? What is it that drives you? Because it's certainly not the same kind of stuff that drives me. And we gain an opportunity to tell them about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We get an opportunity to tell them what Jesus told Pilate. You would have no authority over me at all were it not given to you by God. And we get to testify to them in a way that's far more powerful than mere words could accomplish. That there is a God who is greater than any earthly authority. That his sovereignty is over them. And that his sovereignty is great. God commands us, therefore, with regard to our civil government. That we must submit to them. He says, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. He is God's servant for your good. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Note well, he's not just talking about Christian rulers. When Paul wrote that, the emperor was anything but Christian. And yet Paul said he was established by God and he is God's servant, even though he doesn't acknowledge the true God, even though he fancies himself some sort of living God. Nonetheless, God has established him. God is teaching him. And you, therefore, must honor him. Titus 3, verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. There's no exception clause there. Peter urges us, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, which they do, don't they? Nonetheless, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. <coughs> because on that last great day, they'll have to stand before God and acknowledge that they mistreated you, that they abused you, even though you gave them no reason, no justification whatsoever. So for these reasons, we must subject ourselves to the government because they are God's servants, because God commands us to submit to them, and because by our submission, we gain an opportunity to bear witness for God. However, that's not to say that there are no limits to our submission. We are called to submit not mindlessly to anyone who demands our submission, nor merely to whatever man sets himself over us. We are called to submit to legitimate rulers whom God has sent over us. And that means we're not to submit to a legitimate rule. Remember, it's to God that we submit when submitting to the government. Therefore, we must not submit to those who gain their power and authority by illegitimate means. If they subvert the rule of law and order in order to 
to overthrow the government and establish themselves as leaders. We are not obligated to submit to them. In fact, arguably, we are called to resist them because they have overthrown that which is legitimate. We are not to submit to tyrants. What is a tyrant? That is a person who seeks to take on himself that authority and honor which is due to God alone. Or the ruler who persistently opposes God's rule and God's righteousness. The way rulers among <coughs> the Muslim countries often do. If they are tyrannical rulers, and if God raises up a legitimate ruler to oppose them, then our calling becomes not submitting to the tyrant, but submitting to the lesser governing authority, the lesser magistrate who God raises up to oppose them. Our duty becomes removing the tyrant so that the legitimate governor can be set in his place. Both history and scripture offer examples of when God has replaced ungodly tyrants through the use of legitimate authorities. Think of the family of evil Ahab when they ruled Israel. For years, the godly in Israel were forced to endure wickedness. Not just wickedness around them, but wickedness toward them. To the extent that the godly had to hide, had to flee and hide in order to not be killed or be forced to worship a very virulent version of Baal. But in his time, God raised up Jacob, a lesser authority, but a man of authority nonetheless. And at that time, those who truly followed God were called to oppose King Joram and Ahab's son, and submit instead to Jehu, the replacement whom God sent to oppose Ahab's house and to set up a legitimate authority instead. Or again, think of the men who founded our nation. The people of this land were subjects of England's king and parliament. But when the king and parliament became tyrants, exceeding the authority that they legitimately had by the English Constitution, then God raised up men who already had legitimate authority to oppose that tyranny. And in fact, it was the reforming Presbyterians in the colonies who helped the people to see that it was in fact their duty to oppose that tyranny. But we must wait until God sets that lesser magistrate over us, until God raises up that legitimate authority who will remove the tyrant. Until that point, well then like Paul, leading the church under Nero, we need to submit even to the ungodly authority. We need to do it prayerfully. We need to do it carefully. But we need to do it recognizing that God is sovereign. God is on the throne. God sees and knows. And he will hold them to account. Now if our hearts are subject to God first of all, and thereby to the rulers he sets over us. The natural result is that we will serve the government in the Lord. That's our second point. And that's simply a reminder that we see that we're called to serve the government in the Lord. It's simply a reminder that what we embrace in our heart will overflow into our hands. See, our goal in serving the government 
is to serve God. We need to remember that. That might look a whole lot of different ways, depending on our circumstances. But ultimately, when we're serving the authorities over us, we're, we're seeking to serve and to honor God. And that means that it doesn't matter, really, what we think of that governor who is over us, that president who is over us, that Congress that is over us, those judges that are over us. We might love them, agree with them, celebrate their policies, campaign for their re-election, or the exact opposite. They might be exactly the one that we prayed would not get in there. We might absolutely despise their laws, their policy, their worldview. We might think that they're going, leading the nation exactly down the wrong path. Nonetheless, because they're legitimate governing authorities, it is God who set them over us, perhaps for our good in ways that we can't imagine. Perhaps as a punishment for sins we have committed or permitted. But either way, God has set them there, and therefore we Again, Romans 13, there is no authority except from God. He is God's servant for your good. I'm speaking to Christians, for your good. Paul wrote that, as I said, when the emperors in Rome could hardly be called friends of the church. But nonetheless, the apostle said, God put them there. And he will use them for your good. So how shall we serve them? Brothers and sisters, we must serve them with our mouths. We must speak respectfully when we speak to our leaders. That's the, the example we find consistently in Scripture. When Moses was sent to speak to Pharaoh, who had done unspeakable things to the people of God, who had kept them in submission to terrible slavery, Moses spoke with respect and with honor even to Pharaoh. So too when we speak to our leaders. We must emulate Moses. We must emulate the apostles who spoke to leaders who said, you may not, you may not proclaim Christ in the public square. They couldn't follow that. But even so, they spoke with respect to their leaders. So must we do, and also when we speak about them. It's so tempting, isn't it? To slander and mock the rulers who seem to act foolishly. But again, we need to remember God has set them over us. So when we speak disrespectfully of them, we're showing disrespect to God. Titus 3 verse 2 urges us to speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle and show perfect courtesy toward all people. And so we, as God's people, are called not only to not speak disrespectfully of our leaders, but to urge others to not speak disrespectfully of our leaders. And man, that's hard. Isn't it? I mean, you know, I love this nation. I absolutely love the ideals on which it was founded. So when we have leaders that seem to be opposing and seeking to destroy what America was founded to be and to do, it's really hard not to mock them, not to speak ill of them. I don't always succeed in failing to do that. But that's where we're called to hold each other accountable. Right? To quietly but firmly admonish each other that that joke was not appropriate. 
using that name for the governor is not respectful toward God. That even though we can oppose their policies and we can seek the election of a replacement, we still have to speak and act respectfully toward them. And it's not just about how we speak, it's how we act. You know, it's surprising how often the Bible urges us to pay taxes. Jesus called on his disciples to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Exactly what is it that belongs to Caesar? Honor, respect, taxes. For because of this you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. It doesn't say pay the taxes that you think are fair. Or pay the taxes you can't get out of paying. Or pay taxes only when you know they'll be used righteously. When Paul wrote that, the Roman government used taxes in ways that were atrocious. And yet nonetheless, he said, pay to all what is owed them taxes, to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, etc. We need to honor the government very concretely by paying our taxes without complaining and also by by obeying the laws of the land. Titus 3, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. There is no exception clause for laws that we think are foolish. I don't think we should have seatbelt laws. Oh, I'm sorry. Put the seatbelt on anyway. There is no exception clause for laws with which we simply disagree with. We're called to submit to the authorities very concretely and to defend the government. Young men, you are called to defend this nation by serving in the armed forces. Then you need to do that. Greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. And so too to lay down his life for the country where he was raised at the command of the government. We need to be willing to defend our nation and to serve however else our nation needs. As God provides opportunity for us to seek the well-being of this place where we live, we are called within the bounds of God's law to do so. Here in 1 Peter 2.16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. We are servants whom God has given to this land. But now, of course, here too, our service to the government is not absolute. There are limits and exceptions to how God's people are to serve. Above all else, we must serve the government in the Lord. God comes first. And so when some ruler calls you to disobey God, he has exceeded his authority. Like Peter and John, you must reply, whether it is right for us to serve God or to serve you, you must judge. But we cannot help but do what God's calls Right? So having taken that counsel to heart, we have to obey God rather than men. So when the government goes beyond its authority by demanding you to do what God has forbidden, you must not obey the government. You must obey God. And when the government goes beyond its authority by itself breaking the law, doing that which the Constitution says, the greater law of the land says they may not, we may not obey the governor, we must obey the greater law which has established the government. Right? But understand that when we do that, when we disobey the one in authority, 
Because we must disobey, we must obey God. Or because we must obey the greater law of the land. Understand there will be a cost. When the disciples disobeyed the authorities over them and continued to proclaim Christ in the temple, they knew that they would be beaten for it. They knew that they would be put in prison for it. And so we must know that there is a cost for following God first, but it is a cost we must be willing to pay. Remember that the worst they can do to us is take our earthly life. And that brings us to the greatest place we can ever be. So always, always, always we give ourselves first and foremost to God. And we leave the consequence to Him. And that brings us to our final point. It's a brief point, but it is essential for us to understand. It might seem a relatively small matter, but it's easily the most important aspect of what it means to rightly receive the government God has set over us. And that is that we are to seek blessing for our government from the true king. Our confession says we are to We are to supplicate for them in our prayers that God may rule and guide them in all their ways and that we may lead a tranquil, tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and gravity. What's it mean to supplicate kids? It means to pray. It means to pray. We are to humble ourselves before God and seek what is good for the government and through the government. As Christians, that is our unique calling. This is not a way that the unbeliever can serve God because they don't know God. So how can they pray to him? They don't trust in Jesus. How can they have access to the Lord? They don't. So we have a unique calling that no one else has, and that is to seek the blessing of our God for the government, and that is essential. Because unless they have God's blessing, they can do nothing to James, we read, you do not have because you do not ask. If we do not ask for a government that is good, if we do not ask for a government that does what is good, if we do not ask for a government that is godly and submits to him, then how can we expect to have it? In 1 Peter, or 1 Timothy 2, the apostle urges us I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of our God and Savior. We as a church need to be praying for President Biden and for Governor Vicker and for all of those who operate within their executive branches. We need to be praying for our senators and representatives in Washington and also in Lansing. We need to be praying for our Supreme Court justices in Washington and in the state, and also for the appellate court judges and the district court judges, that they would have wisdom and godliness. What do we need to pray? We need to pray that God can keep them safe, physically but also spiritually. We need to pray that God would cause them to recognize that they are, as Romans 13 says, God's service for our good. That they will answer to God, as we saw last week from Psalm 
82 for all of the decisions they make and those they don't make. And that therefore they must exercise their authority in a way that honors God first. We need to pray that God would humble them before Him. That God would give them a relationship with Himself and cause them to repent of the ungodly things they have done and advocated for and pursue that which is godly and right and good. We need to pray that as a church. We need to pray that as individuals in our, our daily devotions. We need to pray that as families. Fathers, lead your children to pray for the government. Don't lead them to mock the governor. Lead them to pray fervently that God would change the heart of the governor. Don't lead them to tell jokes at the governor's expense, but rather to get on your knees and pray that the governor would repent. We need to pray that fervently, frequently, and we need to let them know when we have opportunity that we are praying for them. I've had that opportunity before in Iowa, meeting with legislators at the state house, including some who were very clearly non-believers, and telling them, you know, I truly believe that you are God's servant, that he put you there. And they're starting to shake their heads, saying, I know you don't believe that, but I do. God put you there, therefore I am praying for you. That you would exercise that authority in a way that honors him and that blesses our state. May I pray with you. And if they say no, say that I'm going to pray for you. And believe it or not, that makes an amazing difference. Because they start to recognize. They start to recognize your conviction. They start to recognize that, that what you're saying, what you're doing, you really believe it. And that forces them in their conscience to start thinking about it. They find themselves laying in bed at night, their eyes wide open, thinking, what if that's true? What if that's right? And by the prayers of, of God's humble servants, he starts to work in their hearts and does amazing things. <coughs> Yeah. 
Father, we confess you alone are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You know that we disagree with many of our governmental leaders at times. And that at times we have spoken disrespectfully of them and even to them. Father, we pray that you would forgive us. And that you would lead us to speak and to act and to desire that which is good for them. We pray that you would work in their hearts and through their needs to bless this land, to protect us from those who would do harm. And Lord, we pray that through their governments, whether by their knowledge and understanding or not, you would create the environment in which your church might thrive and grow and flourish. Your word might go forth with great power and your elect might be gathered together in the kingdom. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In response